0: Hello and welcome to Complete Caribbean, a Travel Pulse podcast all about the world's favorite warm weather destination, the Caribbean. I'm writer, editor and Caribbean travel expert, Jet Set Sarah.
1: And I'm Brian Major, Managing Editor here at Travel Pulse. We're happy to have you join us today as we discuss the ins and the outs of Caribbean travel and we share the latest info and intelligence on this wonderfully diverse region. Let's get started
0: everyone we're so happy to have you with us again this is episode 21 of the complete caribbean podcast can you believe that we are we are legal Brian? Legal. We are 21
1: 21 it is a sweet a sweet age <laughs> a sweet age
0: yes. today is wednesday march 2nd 2022 and we've got a lot of news as usual so i'm just going to get started with this just in surprise surprise in the past couple of weeks we've seen a relaxation of a lot of rules COVID-related entry restrictions and rules in Caribbean countries. And we're going to go through a few of them with you. As of March 1st, you no longer have to apply online for travel authorization to enter Jamaica. But note that all visitors 12 and over still need to show proof of a negative PCR or rapid test result received within 72 hours of arrival. And you can go to visitjamaica.com for more information. Over in Barbados, in addition to a PCR test within three days of arrival on the island, you can now enter with negative results from a rapid antigen test taken within a day before you touch down. Also, if you're in transit in Barbados, as as you may be if you're flying onward to save the Grenadines, a test is no longer required. Barbadostravelprotocols.com has all the latest information. There's a similar situation in Dominica, where visitors are now permitted to use rapid antigen tests taken within 48 hours of arrival to the nature island, as well as PCR tests within 72 hours. Vaccinated visitors are immediately free to roam, but unvaxxed visitors have to take a rapid test and isolate at their approved hotel for five days before being released. For more information, go to discoverdominica.com. Over on St. Martin, the government has announced a planned phase transition from pandemic to endemic protocols. So as of March 1st, pre-arrival testing has been waived for vaccinated travelers and anyone who's recovered from a COVID infection in the last nine months. Go to StMartinEhas.com to apply for entry. And I'll spell that for you. S-T-M-A-A-R-T-E-N-E-H-A-S.com. com. And then in the Dominican Republic, where visitors were never required to be vaccinated or to take a COVID test before entering the country, the rules have been relaxed even further. There is no longer a requirement to wear masks anywhere except for at the airport. GoDominicanRepublic.com has all the details. So lots of changes, Brian. As you know, we we see changes when we have um, new variants and spikes in cases, and now we're seeing changes as as people here in the States and in Canada and in Europe are also starting to relax. And we think we almost see Omicron loosening its grip. Right.
1: That's right. And you, you remember what our Caribbean governments promised us. They said they would adapt protocols as, uh, as mm-hmm. change. And they're doing that. So, um, you know, and we both traveled a lot recently. You got to stay up on your protocols and and go to those yep. websites that Sarah recommended, the, uh, the authorized websites. Really, that's a, that's a way to start your travels. So, um, yeah. So, in fact, last week I was traveling. I was in Nevis last week. And you may have heard. Lucky you. (laughs) Lucky, very lucky. I was very lucky to be named a Nevis tourism ambassador for 2022. And as part of that great honor, last week I made my first visit to the destination since 2017. So, this is a pre-pandemic, you know. So, um, But I found it to be just as wonderful as ever. I spent two nights of my stay at the Montpelier Plantation Beach. And two nights at the Four Seasons, Nevis. Now, Montpellier is a boutique nice. hotel. Yeah, uh, it you couldn't have a two better options. Montpellier is a boutique hotel set on the hillside of Nevis Peak. It's a classic property that's set among the ruins of a sugar plantation with magical vistas that provide an ideal experience of a stone walls and kind of a beautiful isolated mountainside resort. Uh, and it's In the shadow of a mountain, Nevis Peak, the 3200 foot Mm -hmm. mountain that is at the center. It's a volcanic, dormant volcanic mountain at the center of Nevis, can be seen from everywhere. The Four Seasons is something different. It's a generous beachfront luxury resort with hillside villas, deluxe beachfront suites, private cabanas, a full featured spa, and a sports complex with tennis courts and an 18 hole golf course, plus multiple dining options. So, it's these kind are, of like a little village in itself, right? You've been there. I mean, you you know this property. Yeah, it is. it's yeah, like a village huge. Itself, sprawling and uh, generous and just rolling hills and vistas from all over, magical, tremendous sunsets over the beach and uh, just tremendous. So there are other resorts on Nevis that are like both of these. There are other mountainside, hillside resorts. Wonderful, like Golden Rock, for example, another great resort mm-hmm. and beachside resorts like Wally Beach, O-U-A-L-I-E Beach uh, Resort. Um, but these these probably are two at the top of the of the of the pyramid uh, for those uh, for those resorts. So beyond the resorts, uh, I was with Devin Liebert, uh the interim CEO of the Nevis Tourism Authority, who we've had here before on this. On yes, this, we uh,
0: have a couple of yeah. weeks ago.
1: Yeah, and Devin and I met with Mark Brentley. He's Nevis's premier and also minister of tourism and a friend of both of ours and a friend of the show. And we've had him on the show, right? Absolutely. And uh, the minister discussed the measures the country is taking to reactivate tourism while keeping the Nevis populace safe, along with the tourism workers. Then I spent time touring island sites with Greg Phillip of Nevis Tours. As Sarah knows, Greg is a former CEO of the Nevis Tourism Authority and a native of the country. After a great little breakfast at Café de Arts, a, a great little seaside kind of bookstore slash uh, restaurant right adjacent to the Nevis History and Alexander Hamilton Museum, we toured, we toured sites in Charlestown, including the Jewish Cemetery and other places tied to Hamilton's past, including the slave market. And Greg does a great job of explaining kind of the scene there, the past scene, what Alexander Hamilton experienced there and how it influenced his later behavior and his later leadership. So then later we took a drive down a winding vegetation covered road to Cottle Church, was built by John Cottle in 1824 as a place for his family and his slaves to worship together. Uh, I know Sarah's written about this place before because it is something very special. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a historic site. It uh, has no roof, um, but it has a foundation and the walls existing. And on the back of the wall is a list of the all of the parishioners, including the enslaved parishioners. So it is a hallowed kind of site. And uh, Greg talks very eloquently about its importance and its significance to history. Uh, the history yeah. of uh, the transatlantic slave is uh, uh, est- Industry and uh, and it's and the beginnings of its end. Um, so it's a great site, and Greg also pointed out it's particularly good. They host some destination weddings there, so it's particularly appropriate for interracial weddings if you think about it. So another terrific example of, of what's on this tiny island of nevis nice. Very magical, and I want to mention last that there's it's also an adventure island. There's history, there's this beach, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great adventure island. I did an ATV tour around the island. With Queen City ATV Adventure Tours, a company there, we zip, We basically circumnavigated the 36 square mile island, right. and we went up into some trails. And it, you know, it's just a terrific way to get around. And I, that's the second one I've done. I have fun every time. I think I'm going to do that every time I go to Nevis. So um, it was just such a great uh, time, and it's just an example of what you can do when you're in Nevis. So go to NevisIsland.com for more information on the island.
0: And I concur with Brian, I've been to Nevis a few times, as we I think we've said before on the on the show, you know, people talk about always describe Nevis using the word magical. And before you go, you think it's a lot of hype. But then you get there and you find out, you know what, it really is magical. There's a vibe there. I think it has a lot to do with the volcano in the center of the island, who knows? But there's a vibe there that is really, really special. And it's no overstatement to say that you'll have an experience on that island that really is magical. So there's some interesting news coming out of NASA that I wanted to report today, and that is that last week, the first ever TSA pre-check line outside the United States was opened at Linden-Pindling International Airport. You may know that 80% of the Bahamas' inbound tourists originate stateside, and Nassau's airport is the fourth busiest airport in the Caribbean. So, understandably, officials are confident that this new lane will help streamline the whole passenger experience. And then when you take into account the fact that um, LPIA is actually one of the few airports in the Caribbean, uh, I think there's Aruba and Bermuda, which, yes, we know is not Caribbean, but we embrace it, Um, in Aruba, in uh, Bermuda and in Nassau, you can also do pre-clearance for our U.S. customs and border control. So you're going to really be able to zip through. If you have pre-check and you also take advantage of pre-clearance, you're just going to be able to zip through that airport lickety-spit. I wish you could <laughs> zip through it that fast coming in, then quickly get to the beach and to your vacation. But at least going home, it's going to be, I guess, less painful because you can just slide through really, really quickly if you're coming back to the U.S.,
1: there's nothing like getting off of that plane after the international flight. You've already done your your clearance in Nassau, and you just go home.
0: Yes, yes. Especially for oh, us, we don't check it? bags. <laughs> yes, exactly. No bag checking. No, team, check team bags. carry on here, yeah. definitely. But yeah, that's that's nice. It really kind of eases the sting of having to leave the Bahamas. I think
1: definitely. Now we've got some more news uh, after an absence. You know, again post outbreak reopenings. After an absence of more than two years, cruise ships will return to the Cayman Islands beginning March 21st, according to tourism minister Kenneth Bryan. Cayman will resume cruise calls in a phased approach, Bryan said, with arrivals initially limited to a maximum of 40% of previous passenger volumes. During the first phase, which is slated to last four weeks, arrivals will be capped at 75,000 passengers which is less than half the monthly average in 2019. That year, the Cayman Islands hosted 1.8 million cruise passengers. It's not going to approach those numbers this year. (laughs) Brian said the return of cruise ships, however, to Georgetown, the Cayman capital, will be good news for the taxi drivers and the tour operators that rely on that sector for the majority of their business. Now, as Sarah and I, I think we've talked about this a couple of times, at least a couple of times, Cayman has generally taking a slower phased approach to reopening compared with some other islands following the outbreak, a policy that has extended to cruise tourism. And Brian said in a quote, we are seeing with stayover arrivals and our island's high vaccination rate, coupled with having the right safety protocols in place, is allowing our tourism industry to recover. Now, again, more than one way to to do turn on a light or fix a wrench and, uh, you know, fix something. (laughs) That is Mm -hmm. the worst metaphor to, uh, you know, there's more than one way to get something done. Uh, (laughs) Yes. There's more than one way to get something done. And Cayman uh, has come through the pandemic in the way that they thought was best, and it seems to be working.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I went to Cayman uh, at the end of January, I think it was the first U.S. journalist to go there um, since it opened in yes. November, yes. and it was very interesting to me because while I was there, I actually asked the Department of Tourism uh, what the prognosis was for cruise tourism. Because I remember sitting on the beach on Seven Mile Beach and looking and and being so jarred by the fact that there wasn't a single cruise ship on the horizon. Because you know, if you really when came you're on Seven Mile Beach, like, you're exactly. Yeah, the it's warm. a port where you have to tender in, so you always see the like two or three ships on the horizon bobbing around like oversized tub toys. And at that time, the minister sent back a message to me to say, we have no plans at this time to resume cruising. So obviously that was almost eight weeks ago. Things were in a fluid, dynamic, changing environment. They've changed their minds. They're phasing it back in. And I would imagine that the return of cruising will come with the success that the return of just general vacationing that they've had, you know, slow, steady, phased, you know, I have to say, we've, we've we've discussed and we will be discussing with our, our uh, guest who we're going to talk about later, uh, the different approaches that Caribbean islands have taken to opening and reopening and shutting down. Cayman, as we've mentioned many times, is one of the ones who was one of the last Caribbean islands to open after being closed for almost two years. So it's interesting yeah. to see how it's working for them.
1: Absolutely. One size does not fit all.
0: So... We'll make a quick turn because I have some very exciting news. Um, I could not be more excited to tell you about the fact that Caribbean Marketplace, the world's largest exclusively Caribbean travel trade show, is back, baby. Marketplace, as we in the industry call it, it will take place for the 40th time in San Juan, Puerto Rico, in October, October 3rd to 5th. So traditionally, this event is where Caribbean travel buyers and sellers, the resorts and attractions, where they would come together to do business, you know, back in the old days, when you had to do it face to face, and there was no email or fax, even or, you know, telephone calls were too expensive. People met once a year in the Caribbean, all the big tour companies and all the uh, hotels, resorts, and attractions to actually do business to put those contracts on the books for the year. So no, we all do it by email and zoom increasingly, but it is so nice to be able to see each other in person. And yeah. I can tell you that for Brian and I, this is like our high school reunion, right? Yeah, it's because so it's worldly. really it's really the only time once a year when we can get together with all our Caribbean covering colleagues in the media and just, have a great time and talk to each other. So we haven't been able to do that for two years, but uh, it was virtual. It was canceled in 2020, virtual in 2021, and now it's coming back IRL in 2022. And I, for one, have never been more excited to sit in an aggressively air-conditioned conference room and listen to overly long speeches in my entire life. (laughs) I know.
1: We used to complain about that. Now we want that. Yes,
0: but now I can't wait. I can't (laughs) wait. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be great. Really looking forward to that. Yes. It's so also one of our favorite Caribbean people. Yeah. Yeah, San Juan. So much to do there. So yeah. um such an easy connection from the East Coast. Um, a really, I think, underrated in some ways, um, destination. I think I like San often
1: Juan. And say that it is a it is a underrated destination. And uh, you know, again, airlift, easy to get to, cruise activity, it's a lot going on in San Juan. And uh, you know, again. Let's start looking, you know, Sarah made a good point uh, that you'll hear later uh, in one of our discussions um, that we're, 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 at a, we're at a time now where we can actually start to look at the impact of the pandemic and do some analysis and what, what's happened as a result. And during the recent CTO briefings for media, uh, some of the Caribbean leaders said in general they're targeting 2023 for visitor arrivals to return or approach The levels recorded in 2019. And as Sarah and I both know, 2019 was a record year for many Caribbean destinations, highest totals ever for several destinations. And then 2020 happened. (laughs) So um, so several um, uh, some uh, uh, some of the leaders said 2023, but others are a little less certain. In a recent, uh, in the during this briefing, Rosa Harris again came in, Department of Tourism director, said demand for travel to the destination is picking up in 2022, with increased airlifts scheduled to come online through quarter two. But still, the destination is targeting 175,000 to 200,000 people visitors for all of 2022. This is a million two million plus destination. Uh, She said that figures 35 to 40% of 2019 levels. She said the targets will be met, higher targets will be met when air arrivals ramp up as usual in February and March and throughout the summer. As a result, Cayman's return to 2019 arrivals is undetermined, she said, because it depends heavily on how much air service comes back. She said, we're in an environment of uncertainty but we do wanna increase our air arrivals to be able to have a very strong summer. Now some of the other destinations had a little bit of a different view. Donovan White, Jamaica's, Jamaica's Director of Tourism, predicted the country will return to 2019 levels by quarter three of 2023. Jamaica's very aggressive. We know mm-hmm. they've done a, a real, uh, they open up relatively early compared to some of the other islands and they've been very aggressive mm-hmm. about having tourism return. Petro Roach. At our friend, Petra Rocha at Grenada Tourism Authority, she's a the CEO there, said late 2023, early 2024. And Clive McCoy, another friend of ours, a Virgin Islands, British Virgin Islands, director of tourism, predicted the territory won't see pre-COVID numbers until 2023. You know, we're, we're seeing folks coming back. We're seeing a lot of wanderlust that has us very positive about where things are going. But th- behind that, there was a lot of damage done. It, war, it was a it was a setback for the Caribbean mm-hmm. tourism industry. The pandemic. So we remember we're still coming out of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Caribbean tourism. I'm confident really will bounce back, but I think that's going to be. I'm not a ten, tennis playing person, but I, I think it's it's not going to be you know a quick bounce. It's going to be like a, like a slow. I don't know what do they call it a drop spin. I don't know. There you do go, it, like I don't know. Spin. I don't know my tennis yeah. terms, yeah. but it's not going to be a a quick thing. It's going to take time, and you know I think. We can't say with any confidence really that they're that most people are not going to get it till 20, 2024, probably.
1: Absolutely, and that's if, that's you know, hoping nothing else happens <laughs> that yeah, we, we're exactly. not because we, we we've now learned our life is quite unpredictable, we don't exactly, know exactly, exactly.
0: You never know, but there is someone that we're speaking to this week who doesn't know the future, but can predict it pretty well because he's been in the industry for years. Um, He's our guest on Island Intel, so I won't say any more. We'll just get straight on into the interview. On Island Intel today, it's it's a very special moment on Island Intel today because for the first time on episode 21, we're actually welcoming back. A returning guest, we are thrilled to have with us Mr. Paul Pennycook, of the CEO of the new Pennycook & Associates. Welcome, Paul. Happy to have you here.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Really good to be here with you. And hi, Brian. How are you doing?
0: Great.
1: Thank you for coming back, uh, Paul. We really enjoy having you every time.
2: Thanks,
0: yes, it's so nice. We've got we are so nice. We've had to have you on twice, and <laughs> last time we had you on in your position as head tourism honcho for Curacao. But we understand now that you have a whole new venture going on, Penny Cook and Associates. So tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about your background in tourism because I've known you for a long time. I know you've been in tourism in Jamaica, in Curacao, all over the world. So tell us a bit about your background and why you launched Pinnacook & Associates, and what services it offers.
2: Right. Well, really, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity to do this. But just quickly, I've been in the industry some 40 years now. After graduating from hotel school at Cornell, I went back to Jamaica and got involved in hotel management. So I've been in senior management positions in hotels, I have been the CEO, president of a hotel group, Couples Resorts. I mm-hmm. have also held positions as senior VP sales and marketing for Super Clubs when they were around, and I was executive VP at one point for Unique Vacations, which of course is the marketing arm of Sandals Resorts. Right. I was also senior VP sales and marketing for Air Jamaica for a couple of years, and. As you mentioned earlier, I have been Director of Tourism for Jamaica on two occasions, and most recently, I was CEO of the Curacao Tourist Board.
0: Brian, I think Having this is a part we're gonna we're gonna have to bow down now because have you ever heard a resume as illustrious <laughs> as this one? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Thank you.
1: You know, he has. <laughs> we were just. You have so much to to offer and so much uh, experience to draw back on that uh, is is critical at a time like this.
2: Absolutely, and that is precisely why I've launched Pinnacle and Associates because I decided that with all the experience that I've had and with all the crises that I've navigated through in different positions, whether it's managing hotel groups or managing destinations, their tourist boards or whatever. I have been through a number of crises. I have been in different situations that really speak to a time like this. As a matter of fact, I led the tourist board in Curacao through yeah. COVID. Absolutely. Um, so I was mm-hmm. there until very, very recently. Yeah. And so I decided to package all this experience and put together this group where I am leading the group and I have associates in every sort of sector that I can draw on as and when needed. The services we are providing, one, hotel operations. If there's a group that needs some tightening up of their management, we can go in and do that. I also am offering a service to investors uh, who want to come into the Caribbean because, There are many times when there are investors who would like to get into the business, but they're not hoteliers per se. And so I would like to offer the service where I could guide those people. For example, I could negotiate or my group could negotiate hotel management contracts with the large management groups out there, that sort of thing. And on the other side, I'm very familiar with all the incentives that may be available in the different destinations to an outside investor who's coming in as to what are the tax incentives or the other incentives that are available on these islands that can bring them in. So I can provide that service to guide investors and help investors come into the Caribbean. Because at the end of the day, I have been so involved in Caribbean tourism and my objective is to see Caribbean tourism grow to higher heights, right? And the last thing, of course, which I had to include destination management and marketing, because, of course, I've been so familiar with being Director of Tourism for Jamaica twice and also uh, managing Curacao. I am obviously very prepared to manage destinations and a number of destinations, I'm sure, with all that has happened in the last two years with COVID, would really like to see their marketing strategy and their management strategy reviewed and uh, innovative solutions implemented to go into the future. So that's oh, basically gosh. what Penacook and Associates are doing. And um, we launched the 2nd of February and uh, we're now ready to take on the entire Caribbean.
1: That's great. And Paul, I almost don't want to say it, but it seems in some regards, the pandemic seems to be easing. Certainly some of the travel restrictions are being uh, at, at, at changed <laughs> and, and uh, lessened in the Caribbean and around the region and you look at more people are coming back. But at the same time, when I've talked to, when we've heard from Caribbean officials, there's been significant damage done. The tourism product is not what it was before COVID. What should the marketers be doing now to initiate the rebuilding of Caribbean tourism?
2: You are absolutely correct. There has been a lot of damage done. Businesses have been hampered over the last couple of years number of employees lost their jobs because there was a time when there was just nothing coming in so businesses could not survive but we're beyond that thank heavens yes it's beginning to ease and it looks as if we're beginning to get on a path of growth what do these destinations need to do first of all they have to ensure that the product is ready to take today's visitors why do i say that the visitor is going to be a little bit gun-shy of just jumping on a plane and going anywhere these days. They're going to want to make sure that the destination that they are visiting is safe. And I mean safe in terms of COVID and other possible diseases and that sort of thing. So the health protocol in destinations become very, very important. And this is also important from the standpoint of the locals in the destination, because something like COVID, when that's raging, you want to ensure that when there's an industry, the employees in that industry and everybody in that destination is also safe. So the, oh, the protocols to ensure that the destination is safe to visit extremely important. And then as far as the market is concerned, destinations need to look carefully at these different markets and how do you approach them to get people to really start traveling again. As you said before, the airlines are reporting that business is picking up. The cruise lines are reporting that business is picking up. But everybody, airlines, cruise lines, everybody has had to implement very strict protocols to ensure that people can, in fact, get on the planes, go to somewhere and get back and be safe. Same thing with the cruise lines. They have had to make sure that their manner of doing things on board, uh, even the way they dine, the way they uh, go on tours, everything is taken care of such that visitors, uh, passengers are safe. And the last thing I'll say is as far as marketing is concerned, People need to understand that we're in a different age. Yes, there will still be a bit of the traditional advertising that used to take place, but no, it's a different age today. We're dealing with, we're moving towards the metaverse, yeah? Yeah. And um, Mm -hmm. we have to look at a lot more digital. We have to look at social far more than we used to. And even the traditional advertising, we need to be careful as to what we do. A simple thing like you can't just show people tons of people on a beach frolicking, because that's not safe (laughs) in today's environment. So you need to show that people can be safe in a destination where you do have the space as beaches where people can go and enjoy themselves, spread out, still have a good time, and so on. But even that needs to be taken care of in the advertising so that when you're trying to appeal to people to visit, they must feel confident in the destination they're going to visit that they can go there have a good time, and not get sick.
0: Absolutely. I've, I, you know, We talk about sun, sea, and sand as a Caribbean selling point, but to that, I definitely want to add that feeling of safety, right? Because yes. that feeling of safety under the sun, people need to, to have that, to book a vacation and to have a successful vacation, right? Absolutely. So I know back in 2019, a lot of Caribbean destinations were posting record numbers of arrivals. Right. It, people had a great year. And then, of course, came March March 2020. <laughs> so we, we all know what happened after that. So how long do you think it might take, if at all, maybe, do you think that the Caribbean is going to take to reach those pre-pandemic levels of occupancy again? Do you even think that's possible?
2: You know, we talked about that a lot in 2020 and again in 2021 because there was a hope that we would have seen some recovery of sorts in 2021, which there was some, but 2021 started off very poorly, actually, because the Mm -hmm. pandemic was still uh, raging. Generally speaking, in 20 and 21, uh, all of us were thinking, and so did the uh, UNWTO, the World Tourism Organization, that destinations generally should get back to their 2019 numbers in three to four years. Um, look Right. Looking at what has happened, the majority of the destinations in the Caribbean will not get back to 2019 numbers until
1: 2024. Okay. Some will get back. That's that's simple. That kind of illustrates the damage that's been done.
2: Absolutely. There are some that will get back there in 23 with a lot of work but it's going to be 24 before most people get back. And I'll even give you some specifics to, to, to tell you what I'm talking about. In 21, that just concluded, no one, no one that I'm aware of got to 2019's numbers. There are some people who did much better than 20, than 20, obviously, but there is the Dominican Republic that is doing mm-hmm. very, very well, and in terms of getting towards the uh, 2019 numbers, they are on track to maybe do so in uh, late 22 or certainly in
1: 23,
2: right? Cancun is not the Caribbean, but it's the Mexican-Caribbean. You have to sort of, it's in the Mm -hmm. mix. They also are on track to get to the numbers maybe late, uh, late, by the time they get to late 2022, they may just get there, or certainly in 23 they will. Um, because they are doing very, very well. In terms of the rest of the Caribbean, um, one island that has done very well in 21, and therefore should be on their way to doing close to 19 numbers in 22, is Aruba. Um, And that is, they are primarily, well, most of the Caribbean is primarily from the United States. Um, And what they have done, Aruba that is, uh, they're on track to do very, very well in 22 and could very well get close to the 2019 numbers. But 23, for sure, for the real strong performers, mm-hmm. but most people, it's going to be 24.
1: Wow. That is, uh, I mean, I guess that feeds into kind of what we were, you were just talking a little bit about, um, are some destinations in the region better positioned than others to achieve? Uh, a, a quicker growth, and why? absolutely, why absolutely,
2: it? and that's exactly the point. And and this is really, this has had to do. Is with something they've done they or that their it, inherent. It's 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 a couple of things. Um, in the case of Aruba, for example, they have a sort of built-in, uh, U.S. factor that really really helps them, and that is there are a number of people in the United States who own timeshares in uh, Aruba. And so as a matter of course, they go to Aruba every year. And uh, once COVID started to decline, these people started to come back because you know they have their place down there that they go every year for holiday. In addition to which, Aruba has done a great job of promoting in the States, in a number of places, they have excellent airlift into the destination. So they're on track to sort of do very well. In the case of Cancun and the Dominican Republic, they took some major risk, which in turn has worked for them. And they made it very easy to come into the Dominican Republic and Cancun during the height of the pandemic. They did take some risk, right? They did take some risk. They did what they had to do locally, but they did take the risk of saying, listen, you want to come to our destination? There are no restrictions. You can come. And Where people had to get told with tests and all that, they provided the tests locally on on the destination. And so that has worked for them in that if it's easy to get to the destination, people had a tendency to sort of book that destination first. Because, you know, why go through all this complication, go through hoops to go on holiday? You know what I mean? So that is why I could sort of mention those two has been on track to get their 2019 numbers back. And in the case of Aruba, as I said, there's a built-in factor, as well as they have been very strategic with how they have also handled their, um, their COVID restrictions. In other words, whereas a number of islands waited until the end of 20 or even 21 to fully open to the United States, Aruba opened to the United States fully July 10th, 2020, just
1: as an right. example, you know, Lucia yeah, uh, was one of the islands that also opened up kind of, I think, in July of 2020, uh, you know, earlier than, than some of the other destinations. And then what was your priority in Curacao? I should ask at that time. I'm sorry, sir. I don't mean I just want no, to no, get, that's okay. let him get that. What was it? Because you were doing this, Paul, at that time. time. What, Absolutely. Was your, what was your priority at that government and that? Organi- that tourism authority?
2: Was like I said before. We made sure that everything was on the ground was taken care of in terms of. The, Curacao had an excellent record of vaccinating the residents. Um, by the time I left in October, over seventy percent of the uh, people in um, in in Curacao were. Uh, Were vaccinated. It was an excellent record because it meant that you were preparing the local market for, and you were not only preparing the local market for visitors, but you were also making sure that the workers in the industry were safe because they're vaccinated. Which is crucial. Therefore, be transmitting uh, the virus, or would if the virus came in, it would not be transmitted easily because so many people are vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, The other thing, Curacao is a slightly different. Is one of the few destinations in the region that U.S. is not their number one market. Actually, the U.S. is the number two market. Their number one market is the Netherlands, and Europe in general is clearly their number one. And uh, they work closely with Europe, and we're actually getting record numbers from the Netherlands, the second half of uh, 21, and I must tell you. I mean, whereas prior to COVID, they, the highest number of arrivals from the Netherlands in a single month was in the region of about uh, 16,000, 17,000. And during the second half of 21, they were getting over 20,000 Dutch wow. visitors per month. Wow. Um, <laughs> so they really did a great job, or we, I guess I was there at the time, did a great job in making sure that our number one market came back. But more importantly, Everything was done locally, working with the local industry, you know, the hoteliers, the attractions and everything to ensure that we did what we need to do on island so that the visitors could come back. Similarly, um, we were one of the first islands to start getting cruise ships again at the time. We got cruise ships back in June because, of course... Everything was done to make sure that the island is safe, people could go on tours, so many people were vaccinated, so people could walk around and be feeling safe.
0: I think it's, it's you know, it's very much what you're saying, Paul, it's very much, it's it's simple, really, what you think about it. It's like you wouldn't ever invite someone to your house and not be prepared for them, right? right. So That's and right. in the same way, we're inviting oh. people to our islands, but we have to make sure that our islanders are taken care of first. You know, Mm -hmm. whether they work in the hotel industry or not, I think it's really important to protect that public health before we start inviting other people in. And I also wanted to say, I really wanted to note what you said about um, the Dominican Republic and Mexico really taking a risk by saying, you know what, you don't need a test to come in. We'll do random testing, maybe. But you can come. I mean, because I know that for me as a traveler, you know, not even as a travel writer, but just as a traveler, that has given me pause. And I haven't been to either of those destinations because... For me personally, that makes me think, oh, I'm not so sure. I would really like the safety, whether it's a perceived safety or not. I would like that safe, that feeling of safety that, well, the people on the plane with me have had a test within the last X number of hours, right. but they took a risk. And clearly not everyone else was seeing, you know, thousands I, of people were not thinking like me and was everyone there. was in Tulum and everyone is in Punta Cana. All and right. as you say, it has really worked for them, right? Yeah.
2: It has, it has, and um, it's something as like as you mentioned, uh, Sarah. The truth is that when we were at the height of COVID, people taking tests before they come to the destination was a big plus because a traveler would feel like, wait a second, I'm going to this place. At least I know that everybody else on this plane who's <laughs> going there, had to take a test, so I know that everybody everybody's COVID-free, you know, at, right. at least at the time. At least for
0: the and, moment, yeah, yeah. And I
2: tell you something else. Curacao went further with something that was difficult at the time, but it turns out that it was a very smart thing to do, and that is, in addition to taking a PCR test before coming in, three days before, whatever it was, 72 hours before, before actually boarding the plane, Curacao implemented a system where there had to be an antigen test on the 3rd day on island mm. which everybody had to do. And you know initially people were saying well you know why do you want to do that you will turn away visitors and so on. Right. It turns out that it gave people even more confidence that everything is safe and the island is making sure that everybody is safe because You can take a PCR test, let's say, three days before travel, but then you could easily test positive four days after that Mm -hmm. by virtue of the fact that when you get infected, it takes a few days before it manifests itself. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And so Curacao is making doubly sure that people did not sort of take a PCR test 72 hours before, traveled, and then brought in the virus by taking... Uh, And making them take an antigen test three days on the destination, and which, of course, also proved to be the test that was
0: required before they went back home. (laughs) 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 Oh, <laughs> to right. kill two birds with one stone, of yeah, course. No, sorry, I mean, I, I think this has been, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm pretty sure our listeners will have too because I think this is the first time we're actually at a point in, in the pandemic when we can do a little bit of analysis, right? Absolutely. We can have a little, we can look at our experiences of the last two years and really think, well, what worked? What didn't? What risks were taken? What risks should we have taken? and hopefully get some some sort of intel for the years to he- ahead right yeah. because we know that COVID mm-hmm. is never going to go away but we also know that for travel to survive we all need to keep well we all need to keep traveling and we need to do that as safely as we possibly can mm-hmm. so I think we- we're really um, grateful for your insight Paul it's been good to have someone give us a big picture and someone who has the breadth of experience across cool. countries and across public and private sectors as you have so thank you so much for being with us we've really enjoyed having you here.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Brian. And uh, what I'm going to do over the next few days, I'm going to put together a little paper about the different countries and where they are in terms of uh, how many visitors they got as a percentage of 2019 say last year what they're looking at this year and what when do they hope to get back to 2019's numbers i'll maybe post it on linkedin or something like that as a from penny cook and associates just to sort of please keep the information out there for the caribbean and so on. and,
1: and so. let people know that's where they can contact you paul is there any other you want to mention uh, you you're on linkedin certainly
2: Oh, yes, that's right. They can contact me on LinkedIn. And, of course, I, I have my website, which is uh, PinnacleAndAssociates.com. Easy and to I, remember. Of we love You have love to, it. You have oh, to D. spell D. out the word
0: PinnacleAndAssociates.com. And, right. Got gotcha. you. Right?
2: Terrific.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you so much. We hope to see you soon somewhere in the Caribbean.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going down to Jamaica tonight. All right,
1: <laughs> oh, lucky there you, you lucky
0: yeah. you. <laughs> Have a great time, Paul. Oh, Thank yeah. you.
2: Enjoy, Thank brother. you very much. It was really good talking to you guys again.
1: Take care. As, as always.
0: Take, take care, care. Bye.
1: That's Bye-bye. love. Bye-bye. Now.
0: Gosh, we really appreciate those insights that Paul Pennycook was able to bring us. He's had decades of experience in the industry, and you can tell it's really working for him. And we're happy to share his predictions with you. And that really brings us to the end of the show. I can't believe it. This episode 21 is in the bag. We've had a lot of news. Uh, always fun bringing it to you. And of course, we're always so grateful that you listen to us because we know you have lots of other podcasts you could listen to. So I'm going to say goodbye. This is me, Jet Set, Sarah, saying goodbye. And, and Brian Major
1: from TravelPulse.com. Goodbye, folks. See you next time. See you next
0: time.